You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina. Well, hello and welcome to, well, I should say, a special cycling podcast Feminine. Not that they're all not special, they're all special, but this is even more special uh, than normal because uh, today we're doing an Annemiek van Vluten special, which was something I promised a few episodes ago. And I think maybe when I blurted that out, I hadn't actually planned on doing it. But now here we are doing an Annemiek van Vluten uh, special. And I'm joined for this by... Denny Gray or Densmore Gray? I said this week I was going to start calling you Densmore, didn't I, Denny? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, tell the listeners why. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, otherwise it's just totally confusing. Well, this will be only interesting to uh, a very small proportion of listeners for whom uh, women's cycling and golf history, they're in the middle of that Venn diagram. If you're in the middle of this Venn diagram, you'll be very interested to know the 1933 winner of the Open was a Denny, a Denny, Denny shoot. Well, it was actually Densmore shoot. So if you're in that very minute club, then there you go. There's a really interesting fact for the day. But you were interested, Denny. I messaged you straight away because I thought I know someone who'd be very interested in this. Well, I was interested, but it's all about my name. So uh, yeah, I had a very <laughs> selfish <true>. interest. <laughs> but I, I'm quite taken with the name Densmore. I don't mind if I'm a, that's my adopted name from now on. Or is that going to be like your formal n- name or when you're feeling a bit more kind of frisky, you're a Denny, or when you're a bit more sort of business, you're a Densmore. That's the vibe it gives me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know you think Denny is a frisky name, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you're Densmore today because we've got, you know, a big subject to talk about, talking about Annemiek uh, Van Vluten. And obviously she retired from cycling, from racing uh, in cycling, should I? Uh, say uh, this year or the end of this this season. What I hadn't actually remembered quite uh, was that we've actually already done an Annemiek van Vluten special back in 2020 during lockdown. Me, Richard and Orla did uh, a whole uh, special about her then. Um, So it's interesting kind of revisit now, now that she's added even more new victories uh, to her Palmares, of course. Um, But she's very deserving of two whole cycling podcast tributes isn't she Denny yeah absolutely yeah I listened back to the episode and I noticed or noted even that Richard uh tagged her as the greatest uh cyclist in the world at the time and I think it's fair to say she's continued to be the greatest cyclist in the world since then and uh she's clearly gone out on a high uh, at the top of a game on her own terms and she's just had an incredible year I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about some of her achievements but uh you know Still winning the Vuelta, the Giro, the Tour of Scandinavia, three Giro stage wins, uh, Tour de France. Um, she's had a fantastic year and you could have imagined her continuing to have to be at the top of her game if she carried on next year. But she's gone out on her own terms and onto, onto things, all things new. Well, I mean, you touched on there, of course, about some of the results that she got this year. But I mean, just rattling off her results, you know, it's two world championships on the road. Uh, two world championships uh, on the road time trial, four Giro Dones overall, three Vueltas, two Tour of Flanders, two Strada Bianchis, two liege Bastogne liege two La Courses, and of course the inaugural Tour de France fam. So, I mean, it, that's just, that's not even all of them. That's just a, a, a selection. And, and what's kind of even more remarkable, obviously, you know, there are other racers still racing, like Mariana Voss, who have just conquered everything uh, for a huge amount of time. But 
Annemiek van Vleuten wasn't conquering everything uh, all the time. But, I mean, these are results that have really, most of them, obviously Tour of Flanders she did get before 2016, but most of them have come uh, since that Olympics uh, in Rio in, in 2016, where she had a, a horrible uh, crash and then had to recover uh, and came back and was like a almost a new rider. We'll, we'll hear a bit later on how that's not entirely true, but um, it's even more crazy how dominant she has been in the last few years. Yeah, it has. She has been completely dominant, hasn't she? And uh, some of her wins had that real sense of inevitability about them, didn't they? When she was really at the top of her game, she was a really entertaining rider looking back. Uh, although at the time, some of some of her wins felt a little bit, maybe, dare I say, boring to the to the viewer, <gasps> you know, going on a long range attack from 100k out. You That's almost not felt boring, the Denny, gap, come it's on. Not bo- no, it's not boring. You're right. But... You know, there was a sense of inevitability when the gap opened up and you felt she she was so good. You just mm. felt that she was going to win. You know, even though it was, it was an, they, some of the, her attacks were incredibly audacious, you know, unbelievable attacks, the stuff of legends. And I think, you know, that's what I have. That's what I remind myself about now is just how incredibly brilliant, how inventive she was as a racer, actually, because she i mean she she admitted in the interview you did with her in 2020 where she's a racer she likes to race with her heart you know and she i know she had she had that reputation for being kind of very structured in her training and very analytical and and so on but there was that sense of kind of joy and freedom and uh, audaciousness in her racing which i think you know she should be remembered for as well well, and and I, I should say, actually, we will be hearing from Annemiek van Vleuten herself, an interview that I did, uh, met up with her in London a few weeks ago and spoke to her about life post-retirement. That is coming up. Um, but it's interesting you say about this inevitability, Denny, because the thing that I've always loved about watching her race over, say, Anna van der Breggen, and I did think, you know, we have done two specials on Annemiek van Vleuten and Anna van der Breggen's like, where's my special? Why don't I get a single episode devoted to me? But it's this, I mean, that they were always the, such great rivals and they were so different in their style and approach. I mean, Anna van der Breggen, when she might make a really long range attack uh, in a similar place, say that Annemiek van Vleuten did, but with Anna van der Breggen, it was that that was real inevitability. I mean, because she was kind of almost like a perfect cycling machine, uh, and so when she went away, you know, the aerodynamic position, po- total poker face. Um, she kind of she didn't ever seem to have. Bad luck. I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone will message me and say, don't you remember that time when this, you know, terrible thing happened to her? But she kind of luck seemed to always be on her side. With Anna Meek van Vluten, it was almost, she seemed to, her style of racing, it looks like she's almost like fighting the bike and fighting, you know, luck itself to try and overcome it, to conquer it, to win the race. They're kind of always, like you said, these amazing uh, situations that she would win in. Yeah, very human with it. Very much like a person really having to go through hell to try and win, as opposed to something very kind of Anna van der Breggen's wins that that always seemed so kind of sanitised to me. And I, I know that Orla actually was much more of a Anna van der Breggen fan, and Orla's probably like, how can she say all of this? But um, but that's kind of the point of comparison. So I just thought it was kind of striking about you saying kind of an inevitability. But that's kind of how imperious and I guess that's kind of testament to how yeah. she could always pull another thing out of the, her, 
her bag, you know, her bag of tricks and come up with another way of, of winning. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I was probably being a bit unfair to say, I mean, I didn't mean that in a kind of, she was a clinical rider. I just meant more that when she was on top of her game, you felt yeah. like she was capable of that. And uh, you know, I just remember that the win in Harrogate in 2019, you know, where she went from such a long way out, 100 kilometres, and it was an incredible, incredible ride. But after a while, you, you felt quite confident from quite a long way out that she was going to pull it off. Well, certainly I did watching on TV, uh, just because she was in that kind of vein of form that um, mm. she just seemed untouchable. Um, but the, you mentioned the the kind of human side, and one thing I think, listening back to some of the old interviews and listening to you uh, interview her and talking to Katrine Allerud, who we'll hear from soon as well, was the amazing uh, kind of her mental approach to cycling, her kind of mental capacity, which you know, as well as her amazing athletic performance, I think is something to me that really stands out. She seemed to be somebody who was amazingly curious as a rider in her interview with her coach she, she she seemed to be curious about how could she could become a stage racer how she could become a climber and that's that sense of curiosity was what started her to train you know where her journey to training differently and becoming the great gc rider she became um started and she also seemed to be able to kind of self-analyze really well and and clearly she was able to coach her teammates as well from what we've picked up from talking to um to to those that have ridden with her you know she she was always working out I I don't want to kind of give away what we're going to hear later but you know she as you said Rose she she could work out how to win a race even if it wasn't completely suited to her strengths she was always thinking well how can I how can I work this to my advantage how can I win against the odds and I think you're talking of I mentioned her 29 Worlds win. I think the 2022 Worlds win was was a great example of that where, you know, she, she'd broken her elbow. She, she couldn't get out of the saddle. Uh, she'd been dropped on the climb uh, and yet she still somehow fashioned a way to win, attacking, you know, launching a surprise attack with a kilometre to go or whatever it was t- to win, which was just completely incredible and, cre- you know, just, I guess, testament to how inventive she could be as a racer well it's interesting you pick out those world championships because those are the races that Annemiek herself has said were you know when she's been asked since retiring you know what are her highlights what are the you know the races that she that are most memorable and those are the the two world championship wins in their they're very starkly different in you know how she won them but they're you know both kind of um very uh but they're both kind of very emblematic of her approach, aren't they? That kind of, you know, you can win in, in any situation um, kind of approach. But actually, I was just trying to, I was, cause I was thinking, oh, what's my favourite kind of uh, Van Vluten moment? And, and I was thinking, oh, that one that I mentioned in the last episode when we were previewing that Tour de France fam route for next year at Le Grand Bournon, when she came past Anna van der Breggen right at the very last. But then I was thinking, actually... You know, I thought that was kind of swashbuckling type racing, but most of her wins are that kind of swashbuckling type racing. You know, there was an omelette where, you know, she had a mechanical and then she was right back. She had to go through all the groups. There was a Strada Bianchi where she had to, she was, you know, way behind and had to pick each person off one by one and came through and won. So all of her uh, wins uh, are like that. And, uh, well, we'll hear a little bit more later, won't we, um, about uh, Anna Meek and her approach. 
The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you, as always, to Science in Sport, sponsors of the cycling podcast. Now, a few episodes ago, Denny and I toyed dangerously with a subject we usually leave well alone. And that subject is gravel racing. Gravel racing has certainly seen a huge rise in popularity. And with Cascinevia Doma now the gravel racing world champion, it has also taken up a special place in our hearts too. Now, if you feel like venturing onto the loose stuff yourself, then head over to the Science in Sport website. They have a blog post on there outlining all you need to know about fueling for gravel. Gravel racer Freddy Ovet selects some of his go-to products, the big one being the Science in Sport Beta Fuel. As gravel races are often longer and require a whole lot of pedalling, the dual source nature of beta fuel means that it takes fewer bidons and products to keep that carb level up. So you hopefully won't be left stranded in the wilderness somewhere. And once you're back home, enjoy Science in Sports Rego Rapid Recovery Powder, a favourite of Pauline Ferron Prevost no less, to help you recover and get back out on the road less travelled. Cassinivia Doma, you better watch out. For all your sports nutrition needs, head to scienceinsport.com. Well, I thought just to tease everyone a little longer that we wouldn't go straight into hearing from Annemiek van Vluten herself, but rather because it's kind of this episode is kind of about her legacy and, you know, how she's changed women's cycling and the ways in which she revolutionised it. I thought let's hear instead from a teammate, someone who might have been inspired um, by her because then we're kind of getting a bit more of a sense of what she's kind of given women's cycling as a whole, aren't we? So, so Denny, you spoke to uh, Katrine Allerud, uh, who is her Movistar teammate, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, she's been uh, Annemiek van Vluten's teammate for the last three seasons since uh, Annemiek joined Movistar. And I started off by asking her what her reaction was when Annemiek joined the team. Uh, it was really good because like, I was really looking forward to learn from someone more experienced and like you know the stories about that make she was like one of the greatest cyclists i think she's one of the kind and uh yeah it was just nice to having her in the team and i think it was a good thing for movie star to get like because we had like many good girls but we also needed someone to learn us how to race um on the big level you know yeah it seemed like a really big milestone for the team at the time when she joined Obviously, as you said, she was a star rider, still is, um, and I guess always will be. But do you remember kind of what difference that made to the team that year? And um, and, you, and you mentioned the fact that, you know, you needed to learn how to race as a team. Kind of what, how did you learn from Annemiek and what influence did she have? Like how, like, because I was quite uh, close with Annemiek. Like we started already, like when she joined the team, uh, I got to know her already in altitude camp. And yeah, there you also live close together, like for three weeks. And then like already there, you notice how she actually prepare for races. Like she all all in for her goals, you know, and how mentally strong she is. And but also she's like just human, you know, just relaxed. Or I find her like relaxed when we are together, but it's also like still coming like with her goals still. You said she obviously she, she, she's human, <laughs> like, like all of us. Um, what was it like being on altitude camp? With her, she has a kind of reputation for being quite fearsome in her training, very kind of uh, structured and regimented. What was it like being on that training camp with her? I find it really nice because um, she loves training also, and is 
like I for myself also I love training so we share the same passion about that she lo- likes to also win but I think she enjoy her bike so much and also it got me how do you say you give like the energy to other people you know around you and like I enjoy training with her of course she was training more than me because I knew that I could not train the same hours as her because she needed it she's like been in the game longer and she that's her recipe for getting in shape so then you get the spirit like yeah she's a really tough like go she, you can see also she was digging quite deep some days she was tired and like human you know so it's also good to experience like she also reacts the same way as you do like she has her day like where she's shining but also like the day she is like also have to go so down like finish stuff also and what influence would you say she's had on you as a rider and as, and, as, and as a person for that matter? I think like she challenged me also mentally, you know? Uh, I think I needed that because like before her, I was like, yeah, I was just happy training, racing, but also like, I think she put like question marks, you know? She asked the questions. We were out riding many hours together. So then you have time to speak. And I think like she's really good at listening also, but also like she doesn't just, want to agree you know she also wants to just challenge you like what do you think about that or that like she tried to see make you see it from another angle i knew that she cared about me so she just wanted my best so she just wanted me to improve in that way also like what she said like not all about the shape but also in your head can you give me an example i mean when you said she asked you asked you questions and made you kind of reevaluate um what you were doing kind of are there any examples of her doing that? Kind of what way, in what way would she do that? Like, yeah, because uh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I'm so, my <laughs> mind is like, but it's like just putting out like, yeah, also in the private, like I was so long, um, yeah, I had like some personal uh, uh, problems, but then like she cared, then she doesn't ask the, that questions. Uh, then she always like, try to like make you also maybe understand from the other side you know but like when it comes to like we didn't always talk about racing but if like she we were talking about racing like but what did you think that made that go wrong you know have you thought like about it like if you did it like maybe a little bit different and just make you see the situation a little bit differently you know just make you rethink it like I think before I was racing with her I was just like oh let's just do it and I didn't analyze like with her, she asked like question, but why did you think it was that way? You know. I see. Yeah. So she kind of helped you, kind of to re- to evaluate yourself as a rider and kind of coach you to think about ways in which you could uh, change and be better. Yeah, exactly. So I think like I don't know why I didn't think about that before. I just was thinking like it's so important to be in shape and everything, and I didn't realize what was important stuff. Also, what difference do you think she made to the team overall over the last three years? Like we were right when we raced with her, we were racing for one leader, you know. And I think like it was like you know when you have like a such a big star, everyone wants to do their best because you know she can win like out of yeah nine out of ten, you know, or more. <laughs> <laughs> so then like I think we knew how how to ride for a leader or what she needed, you know, um, and like how she reading the race so she could win. So like instead of like thinking, I was just. I think also what I learned is like she was always thinking, but how can I win the race? Even if like you think, oh, this, this race maybe doesn't fit me or, but she was like, but how can it fit me? 
or how can I do to win? Like, how can I also use the team so I can also win? Like, it's also team effort, you know? So it's, she was like, I think she was like so clever to see how the race could be good for her, not just thinking like, mm, it doesn't fit me. It's so easy to say, oh, this race doesn't fit me. Like, then you don't try. But I think like she also likes to challenge herself. Like she also told me like about the world, like, yeah, it's crazy to go like 100k away from the finish line, but still trying to win the race, you know? <laughs> so I like, that's also something like she told me, like she tried to challenge herself, like what doesn't seem like achievable, like still was, mm. you know, as, as long as did, you did dream about it, it's like possible. I think like she's like also what she learned, like if you dream, you also have to do the work, but you also need to dream to also achieve it. And are there any particular favorite memories you have of uh, Anamik, uh, either on on or off the bike? I think like on bike, when you do effort, you suffer, of, of course. And like we did like to suffer together. And then like afterwards, we were so happy. I think we both got the rush, like yeah, the <laughs> happy rush after. And then like we celebrated like having coffee, a lot of cakes. Like I think we always like sitting there forever. Like sometimes we told me, I maybe should shorten the time down, but we're having a great time. Still, like, she was riding strong. So I think, like, we had, like, this thing kind of, yeah, between us. Like, we just got happy of doing hard efforts and then celebrate after and then, like, just enjoying the rides. Well, it was so interesting hearing from Katrine Allred, and I think she gave such a great insight into being uh, Annemiek Van Vluten's teammates. I think people from the outside kind of get this impression that, Anamik is quite kind of hard and super focused, but it was lovely kind of hearing about um, her kind of soft side and just that. I just love that whole bit that she was saying about um, how Anamik kind of challenged her, made her kind of think uh, differently. And, and I know, Denny, you spoke a bit to Katrina afterwards about um, her own ambitions now that she's she's joining Uno X next year. Yeah, tell us what she what she kind of said. Was there any kind of, did you feel... Anamique influence in in her ambitions for the future. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, she's going home to Uno X. Um, she's a Norwegian rider, um, 28 now, but she has really big ambitions. And it seems that the influence of Anamique Van Vluten has rubbed off on her. She said she dreams of wearing yellow oh. uh, at some point. And and Presumably at the Tour de that, France as opposed to at the Tour of Scandinavia. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or just at yeah. home, yes. Must, <laughs> must, a must from get H&M. more yellow in my wardrobe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, we weren't talking about her, her next uh, wardrobe purchase, <laughs> but her dream of kind of wearing yellow in the, in the Tour de France one day. And I think one of the things that I picked up from that interview with her was the sense that Annemiek had really inspired her to dream big and to um you know think beyond her i guess her previous what she thought her previous limits were you know the sense that she could learn she's learned how to think how she can win races and she you know she's only 28 mm. i mean you look at Annemiek van vluten's trajectory she was 25 when she joined the pro peloton she wasn't kind of at the top of her game until well into her 30s so i guess she can take a lot from from that uh, trajectory and that experience and uh, Anamique's uh, what Anamique can pass on to her, and I think what we saw from the interview was just what a great coach mm. Anamique van Vluten is, and how she's been able to help riders like Katrine 
reevaluate themselves and analyze the way they ride but also be a, a really a really good friend as well um she she kind of gave the example of Anamiks, you know stopping on a training ride when um katrine you know had stopped um she, to kind of be with her and look after her, even though she's interrupting an important training ride so there was that as you said we said earlier in the conversation there was that hu- real human element to her kind of relationships with with her fellow cyclists as well and i just found that you know what katrine Aller had said it just totally made suddenly su- totally made sense that Annemiek van Vutens would be always thinking, how do I win this? Or how do I play this game to allow myself to win? I was like, that's that's exactly what she's doing. Why didn't I think that, why didn't, couldn't I see that that's exactly what she was doing in every single race when she comes up with these supreme victories, just trying to like kind of play a game of chess or not even play a game of chess, but try and invent, reinvent whatever the game is so that it kind of goes in her favour. And it's interesting there you say, Denny, about, you know, Katrina Allard being 28, um, because when we were trying to think about people to talk to who have been inspired by Annemiek van Vluten, uh, there was a, ri- a cyclocross rider, Femke de Vries, um, who came up in conversation, who specifically said that she was inspired by Annemiek van Vluten because of her age, be- because of the fact, you know, she's re- you know, she's 40 now and she's just retired. She's still, as we said earlier, kind of still at the top of her game. She's 41. And so, um, yeah. you know, that is a huge, we don't really hear much of those stories about people kind of succeeding, you know, as they get older. It's a very much, you know, in cycling as well. It's kind of like, like especially on the men's side at the moment, it's like kind of all these young guns and, you know, uh, Remco Venepol, you know, being not much more than 20 and, you know, being so dominant. And I think it's so refreshing to, have a figure head like Annemiek van Vluten, who has kind of grown into her talent and learned more about herself and more about racing and become the racer that she is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what a, you know, we, we spoke last episode about the five 18 year olds that yes. uh, Libra Trek <laughs> have signed, but, you know, just goes to show that development, it just is, is non-linear, isn't it? And you can come into the sport late like Annemiek uh, and and there's still examples now, other other examples, and 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 still succeed. But yeah, what an inspiration to be at the top of a game uh, at the age of forty, uh, now forty one, of course, and uh, inspiring riders. Yeah, and uh, what I thought was great because I did mention at the interview that we will hear. I promised that there is an interview on the Big Bang that is coming up. But at the interview, I did mention Femke de Vries and there was another rider, Anna Hendricks, that, you know, cited Annemiek van Vluten as their biggest inspirations and, you know, showed the articles to Annemiek. And, she, and I was like, oh, do you know, do you know these riders? And she's like, no, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know these riders. What team are they on? And so amazing, you know, how uh, far her inspiration uh, can go. And obviously cycling, it's not a, it's not a huge sport, but it's, uh, it's not like everyone that she's inspired has directly come into to contact uh, with them. No, and you mentioned you mentioned in the interview with her. Sorry, I'm not going to give away too many spoilers. <laughs> Don't even bother listening to the interview. We've given all the spoilers uh, away. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the reception she had, uh, you know, in some of her her final races as well. The crowds that were out to to see her at the Simac Ladies Tour, for example, were were just incredible. Um, you know, that's just testament to the, I guess, the way she's inspired people, the way, the fact that people wanted to go out onto the roadside and applaud her and 
see her in her final races, I think, you know, speaks volumes. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. This episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminin is sponsored by NordVPN. And listen up as they have an exclusive deal for you. Now, me and Denny aren't on our usual tour de Wandsworth for this month's episode. Of course, normally we can be found in some pocket of this great borough, most typically in a pub, talking about cycling. And of course, it's a beautiful thing to get to be out and about for work, heading to wherever you fancy, whether it be a cafe, pub, or as we have discovered in the past, a pizza vending machine in a town square. But by connecting to random public Wi-Fi networks, you can't know for sure how protected you are online. With NordVPN, it only takes one click to bolster your online security when out and about. Using NordVPN means your traffic is always protected thanks to strong encryption. It's accessible from anywhere too. So when the cycling podcast headed to the Tour de France fam and swapped the customary pub lagers for Aperol spritzes in sunny boulevards, we could still enjoy the same protections offered by NordVPN. What's more, by switching on NordVPN while we were away, we could also connect to a British server and follow the bike race with English comms because our French was a bit rusty and enjoy all the analysis that everyone else was enjoying back home too. So if you want to boost your online security, then we have a fantastic exclusive NordVPN deal for you over on nordvpn.com TCP. With every purchase of the two year plan, you'll receive a bonus four months on top. That includes all plans, standard, plus and complete. Get this exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash TCP. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash TCP. Well, drum roll, please. I'm trying to tap this so I don't ruin my microphone too much. So that's a very feeble drum roll that I've just done. It's time for the big interview with Annemiek van Vluten that I've been promising. Woo! Um, yes, I should say that I get caught up with uh, Annemiek uh, in London. She was over for the Ruler uh, Live. And I knew immediately, you know, obviously you don't know how people are going to fare, especially athletes, you know, at the top of their game for so many years. You can never be sure how someone is going to fare coming into retirement, losing that kind of everyday schedule, the habit of being out on the bike the focus of winning a race um and then she messaged me in the morning saying you know I want to just go out and enjoy breakfast in Shoreditch so can we do it a bit later so I was like yep that's absolutely fine but then I knew immediately without even meeting her that retirement would would suit her just fine so uh let's hear from that interview now um, well, Annemiek, it's lovely to sit down with you and actually speak to you, not at a race, not with you in your cycling kit, not you going off somewhere. But is it a funny, a strange thing to transition into, being away from the bike races and the training every day? So far, it feels quite naturally. I think I really enjoy it and enjoy that I'm a bit more relaxed, that I don't have that goal. So, so far, it's been quite good. Does it feel like a bit of a almost a personality change that you've gone through because obviously you're so like as a rider goal focused and target focused and structured and does it feel like your personality your priorities has changed overnight pretty much yeah I think so but it changed already a bit after the Tour de France I already um, changed a bit with my focus I was already yeah, not so focused anymore so it was a bit done after the Tour de France 
And I, I joined a, a group of the Olympic Federation for athletes that stopped. It's organized by the Dutch Federation. So I'm in a group of eight. And there I also have a coach. And she asked me, if you go back, uh, what kind of time of your life do you want to repeat? Is it your student time or is it the cycling time with all your big achievements? What you want to relive? And I was sure, like, no, student time. And, and that gave me also a nice... Uh, she asked me why. And so, like, yeah, I think because I had so much freedom there and I was so enjoying it so much. Everything was possible. If we, we go uh, for a weekend somewhere, like, tomorrow, oh, yeah, we go. I was in. I was in for everything. The, I, yeah, everything was open. It made me also realize that maybe in the time as a cyclist, I put myself really in the schedule. But it's not my natural way, what I really love. And, um, yeah, so it feels a little bit back to the freedom of the student time and I'm enjoying it. I'm going to catch you playing beer pong later on or something like that. But uh, it's funny because I, I did read that you said that you were kind of enjoying the fact that you didn't have to go out on rainy training rides. But that kind of, I was kind of a bit surprised by that because you're so known for your training. As, you know, as much as you're known for winning races, you're known for this like crazy training structure. Yeah, but it was more like when I was at home, I found the training quite stressful because I was not really enjoying it. So always was was a bit stressful to find company at least because otherwise I was for sure not enjoying it. Uh, yeah, and also like when you see the weather forecast in the Netherlands and you want to do four or five hours, it was quite sometimes stressful when you see the weather forecast. When can I go and what well, I find company? So yeah, in when I was not in the Netherlands, it was not a problem because there yeah, I really loved the training. But in the Netherlands. My, my coach made jokes that when I was out there, like I was always exaggerating with the hours. But when I was in Netherlands, I had to do four hours. And that was a lot of time, three and a half hours or 3.45. And it was never longer. But yeah, it's funny because obviously people say that kind of the way you trained has kind of changed the face of, of women's cycling. And people you know, kind of hold you up as like a pioneer. Is that something that in any way you set out to do, to like change the sport? Or is it just totally your own personal, how you wanted to reach your personal goals? Yeah, it was only how I want to reach my personal goals and to get better. And I knew that what, that was working for me. So also, I'm not a big fan that everyone should do the same as I did. It's, uh, it's also something that was suited me really well. Um, but if I go back to the time... In the beginning of my career, there you really we had races until up to three and a half hour. So then really the the ever the mentality was okay. So you only train four hours maximum, and that's what you need to do. You we were training according to the distance of the races, and yeah, that that changed that mentality changed completely. And I think I have a little part in that, and yeah, that's nice to hear. But is it is it funny when people kind of hold you up as like this pioneer, like a revolutionary? Like whenever you see all the articles about you retiring, it's like. You know, cycling's revolutionary uh, racer retires. Is it kind of like, oh, that's funny. That's not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to be me. Is it kind of strange for you to read that stuff? Yeah, it's, it's strange for me. It. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I read it, and uh, also my coach also thinks the same. That I changed a bit the uh, training habits in in uh, in women's cycling. Um, it's hard to to take that on board as a compl- compliment or something, or as a as a. It's, it's nice to read, but I'm, I'm still surprised when I read this. I, I think we did it all together with the women's cycling to raise the level, and everyone in his different way, every contributed differently at, to this. But obviously, when you were retiring, uh, you know, at your last race at the Simac Ladies Tour, 
I mean, we did see such a fantastic reaction from the roadside, the, you know, the posters, the picture saying bedankt and Anik. How was that for you, seeing all of that, the support from the people? Yeah, goosebumps. Did they say thank you for... I was just doing what I really love to do and just want to get the best out of myself. And then so many people that came to... were almost emotional. I had people coming from England over to fly to see my last race. So, like, whoa, like, it's, it's still, like, this is not possible. Like, it's not possible that people are so big fans and... Yeah, that makes me proud that you also yeah, were emotional and, and thanking me and, and almost begging me to continue one more year because I was a big entertainer for them. It's a bit like, I suppose, being at your own funeral <laughs> because everyone's kind of coming out with these lovely things and yeah. being so emotional with you when normally you wouldn't hear that at all. Was there anything that you heard from you know, your fellow riders or you know, fellow rivals that people said that you kind of surprised you? Yeah, I also got from my... Uh, rivals uh, or colleagues I, I call them I got also those nice uh, comments about like that I changed women's cycling I thought oh, when you hear this from people in the peloton mm. you take it more serious and more as a compliment uh, as more something that's like oh maybe maybe I did something yeah to change so it was super nice to hear and I had also some nice talks actually in the more easy stages in the uh, ladies tour um, so it was nice also that it was not a stressful race um, yeah, I had some already some nice reflection moments with some some former teammates and uh, I I really enjoyed that. Were there any particular riders that you were kind of like oh that's surprising that I inspired them or you know they had that to say was there any particular rider that said something particularly that you were like oh that's kind of surprising? Yeah one I got a really nice message from Lisa Longo Beghini Um, always have been really good uh, rivals colleagues always really respectful and was always fun out with her but yeah, the words she sent me, um, yeah, she really took the time to put a really nice message together. And uh, yeah, I did, I did read it a couple of times. It was, um, it was super nice to get that from, from her. Yeah, it's so funny because obviously you spend most of the year kind of being pitched against each other. Obviously, I know that, you know, you don't see it as being kind of like one against one at all because, you know, everyone's got a chance. But you've been kind of part of some of the big rival what the media might say the big rivalry is you versus Anna van der Breggen and then you versus Demi Vollering um, and I know that you kind of find it a bit tiresome <laughs> what kind of pitches you against these singular uh, rivals but you know it must be funny w- watching well I guess the racing hasn't started without you yet but thinking about next year and the racing going on without you and there being other storylines other rivals other rivalries without you in it you haven't thought about it no I haven't thought about it no yeah with the rivalry like yeah with the duel with more with the Dutch girls yeah I I start to embrace that in the finish of my career because I Mm. thought like people love this Uh, it also maybe makes them more entertaining and uh, like then just embrace it and uh, and love it that if they get more entertained by this Um, yeah and I will see I'm curious how it will be next year I, uh, I hope more to see more rivalry between teams so that was uh, my last year was, was not the best was a bit I don't like when uh, all the talent is in one team and uh, makes it less interesting so it was also one of the reasons why I went to Movistar to my yeah I think it's nicer to, to spread out a bit uh, the yeah the strength I was going to say that must have been a conscious decision because you could have I'm sure you were courted by, you know, Little Trek and SD Work. I mean, not the Little Trek did very well this year, but, you know, they're kind of, you know, held up as the big rival, big teams. 
it must have been so tempting for you to go to a big team or was it never you've always kind of built a team around you and your talents was it, was it ever tempting to go to one of those massive teams and be one of many champions yeah of course because for example I really uh, like the structure in Little Track and also the philosophy they have in the team uh, to have it quite equal with men and women I've, I've something that really attracts me I, I've, I really think they do a really good job there and a really professional team with nice athletes also I ah, that was was tempting to be part of but I think that I like to go for a challenge did win it and the challenge was bigger to go to a team that was not let yet on the on the level of winning a lot and uh, yeah I love the journey with Movistar that was really a journey and that uh, that's why I also look back with more 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 smile on my face uh, about the last three years were there any times this year that you thought either well either oh I wish I wasn't retiring at the end of the year or were there any moments where you're like I've made this is I've made the right choice here to leave the sport now yeah I'm happy that I never doubted my decision I felt because lots of other riders do and they come back (laughs) yeah that's true now I'm also quite the kind of person that once I make a decision I made a decision and I don't come back on my decision it felt like the perfect moment to say goodbye in the uh, in the rainbow jersey, um, and you feel like maybe it was also good that I didn't that I had my best year in 2022. So I used 2023 to I would say like to enjoy a bit also extra 2022. It was not nice to stop there after 2022. Um, yeah, and of course when you see the Tour de France and they finish next year on Alpe d'Huez, it's nice to see. Uh, but I, I know there will be so many more events that will that I would love to race. So then there's no no moment to stop, and um, this felt felt like the perfect moment. And what I I mean I know you've been asked this a lot about what you are what are you going to do with your retirement? Because obviously it's a retirement from being on the bike, but that doesn't mean that you're going to stop working or you know leave the the cycling world. Do you have any ideas about what you want to do or what your motivation is going to be? Yeah, so I'm now in the program that's of the Olympic Federation. It's nice. It's not that it will give me the answers, but uh, it's nice to be in a group of, of athletes from different disciplines to reflect a bit on your career and what gives me strength, what kind of uh, things I learned in my career and what kind of what I like to use in the future. Um, so you're forced a bit to think about it unless like, you continue to do all kind of nice stuff. Um, that is nice. Um, and one thing that's outstanding for me is that I really like to do something with the mental part of the sport uh, to help, um, especially young athletes I like to work with because you can have a bigger impact if you work with young athletes and I like also the energy they have and also um, yeah, I like just that age category. Also in my teams I like more to work with, uh, with the young guys. I was always happy when I had a young uh, talent uh, joining the team and to help them a bit. and. Um, yeah, I, I like to to help them with that to prevent some some things that I did maybe I could have done better maybe in the beginning of my career. I had to find it out myself. Um, and I think cycling or in sport in general sometimes overfocus about the physical part. And there's not enough. I think there's more to win on the mental side. Way more to win if you're open for it as an athlete. And um, yeah, it was also nice in the Dutch ladies too that some girls came to me if I want to be uh, their mental coach or their, uh, help them a bit on the mental side. That was a super nice compliment, yeah. Yeah, that's very good. I mean, obviously you, you did have a mental coach when probably other, other cyclists didn't have mental coaches or hadn't even considered that, that that was a thing. I mean, how massive was that to you kind of changing the trajectory of your career? 
Yeah, it was not that she did a lot for me. Like I think it was more my um, mindset that mm-hmm. I want to improve on every part, on nutrition, physical side, but also on the mental. Uh, it was just my driving force to get the best out of myself. And I think it gave me a lot of energy to have like a small team around me. And my mental coach was one of them. And it was super nice to discuss sometimes. And um, yeah, also there you also take a bit time to reflect if you have an appointment with her about in the situation you are and, and the things you can improve. It gave me also energy to yeah, to work with her and, and yeah think a bit. Yeah, I started to work quite young with her. Like, um, And I love that I get sometimes to question what what uh, crisis in your career made you start to work with the mental coach? And I think that's also something we need to change. You don't need a crisis to start to work with a mental coach. It's, uh, it's nice to see more and more... Um, uh, at least I start to work with it and it gets more normal and also norm, more normal to be open about it. And Annemiek, what about kind of away from the bike? You know, have, you must have ambitions, places that you want to travel or things that you want to do that you can now finally do now that you're retired. What are some of those? Oh yeah, my mother became 75 and I gave her a holiday outside Europe. So uh, we are going for two weeks uh, together uh, to Uganda uh, in uh, January. I look really forward to that. I could have been every destination outside Europe. It don't, doesn't matter for me. Something that my mother can still do with her physical um, abilities when being 75. I look forward to that. It's something that was never possible um, in your cycling career. Um, so it's also nice to... It helps for me that I'm happy that I stopped because I now also have some really clear things that I can do now what before was not possible so I enjoy yeah I take the benefits of it uh, I am planning a ski trip with my boyfriend I never went can he skiing. ski he can but I can't so uh, he will laugh a lot <laughs> and I don't know if it's a, a real thing maybe it's one time and I will stop it <laughs> Um, it's hard to learn maybe in my age, but I, yeah, I, it was something that was really high on my uh, list to want to do. So um, yeah, I like to be outside, I like to sport and I like the mountains. So um, yeah, uh, bring on the skiing. Um, yeah, and, and also like it's nice to have an open agenda. So I also thought like I will next year, I will not plan something long term. I will do for sure some short term projects. If, but also I want to keep my agenda open that to, I can say yes to things that come on my path and, uh, and also will help me maybe to find out a bit like what gives me energy and, and what kind of way I want to develop myself. Well, very interesting hearing from Annemiek van Vluten, you know, still in a state of not knowing what she's going to do exactly, but really interesting to hear how focused she is on the mental uh, aspect of cycling or of sport. And um, she even actually said that she has been approached by other riders in the peloton, um, including, you know, perhaps some of the the greatest uh, cyclists of all time, uh, certainly the best riders of their (laughs) generation uh, to you know to become mental coach to help uh, other riders with the the mental side of their um to give them the edge uh, men- in their mentality uh, to compete like uh, Annemiek van Vluten uh, competed but it was interesting to me that there was so much focus on the mental side of things because i think she's kind of this figurehead for kind of doing long hours on the the bike and kind of taking a different approach to training, going off to Colombia, say, for a month um, to train out there. Kind of something that hadn't been necessarily seen uh, or reported on, I guess, uh, in women's cycling uh, before. Um, And I don't want to just kind of uh, uh, 
uh, gloss over that because I think it was very kind of pioneering, you know, in 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 how she has uh, trained for races um, and changed herself as an athlete. Um, and uh, we thought we would dive back into uh, the archives, back to the special that I've already uh, mentioned that we recorded in May 2020 uh, and uh, hear from uh, Richard Moore interviewing uh, Annemiek van Vluten's coach, Louis Delahaye. And I think it's also uh, everyone's going to enjoy just hearing that uh, beautiful, warm uh, Scottish lilt uh, once again. So uh, here's our dear friend, uh, Richard, who we miss every single day, uh, talking to Louis Delahaye in this interview from May 2020. Was she a rider that you identified then as, as having the potential that we've all seen now? Or, you know, what, what were her characteristics back then that you, you spotted? Oh, she, she, she was already a good rider. I think she already won Tour of Flanders. At that point in time, I was more or less responsible for, yeah, all the team, Rabobank teams we had on, on, let's say, a training technical level. There was a development team. We had a cross cyclocross team. We had our professional team, and now there was a new women's team. And uh, yeah, well, I introduced myself there, and and Anamik wanted to talk to me. And out of this conversation came yeah that we were starting to work together. So it was it was her question more or less. Already then she was yeah one of the the better riders, the, uh, slightly different riders. She was more like a classic specialist. I mean, we we tend to divide her career almost in two, before and after the Rio Olympics in 2016. She seemed to come back from that, that crash and that disappointment with a, a sort of new focus, a new determination. Do you agree with that? Or, or to your eyes, has she always been the same athlete? Mm, I, I think it already started earlier. I think it already started like in 2000, let's say 14. Well, she, she was she, always classified as a classic rider and uh well she she agreed with it and she won classics in in, in the beginning of her career already like i said with with, with flanders but yeah she was curious can i be uh, also a rider who can climb and a rider who can win uh, stage races and i said why not but we have to change a few few things so from that point in time from 2014 we 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 changed the training more or less and rio was the first let's say big goal of mm. course and there she showed that for herself that she could be the best in the world and maybe before she didn't expect it but there she thought hey i can climb i can do it in a one day race so i and so it's also possible to do it in a stage race so it, it was Yes, Rio was very important. One of the things that we observe about Anamik is the huge volume um, that she that she does. I mean, has that has that always mm-hmm. been part of her her training and something that she's been no, keen no, to no, do? no, no, no. Let's say the discussion after the first year or first second first or second year we worked together was that my idea was okay, we have to do more volume, and for her, and I mean, I I say it in her own words, she needed more speed. So she needed more like 30 second, one minute reps to become a better athlete. So we disagreed on, on that. Uh, yeah, we had a discussion and I said, okay, I mean, this is my idea. This is your idea, but yeah. And, and she said, okay, I want to try this. And then that's the point in time where we changed her training completely to, let's say a higher volume. 
And yes, she has the, the she, she does a high volume, but it's it's not like super super high. I mean, I work with a lot of really good uh, riders in in the men's category. Anamik doesn't do as much as these guys. So, and for me, there is another reason why a woman woman more or less cannot train what a man can train in volume wise. And the second thing I have to add is that we build it up. We started in 2014 and we gradually, we grow to the volume uh, that she does now. And I think that she makes the difference there. And I think the philosophy, uh, let's, at least the training philosophy in women's cycling was, okay, yes, but Stanley for guys is like 250. For women, it's like 120. So our volume doesn't have to be that high. I think that is uh, that's wrong thinking, in my opinion. Because why are men not training more than they can do? Because they reach more or less the limit from what you can do in one year. I mean, there is a lot of research on that. What you can do more or less, and it's like, let's say, uh, 25 hours on average a week till 30 for a whole year. That's about the limit. But they don't do more because it doesn't bring more, and it is the limit. But you know, as a as a woman, you can get to that limit as well. Not because if you look at like uh, at a fifteen hundred meter swimmer, his discipline is only is less than fifteen minutes, and they also make more or less this volume in triathlon. They make more or less this volume because probably there is a limit there somewhere. So why for me there is not a big difference between a 120 kilometer race and a 250 kilometer race it's both extreme endurance exercise and so that's more or less the philosophy i use to coach people uh, okay 25 to 30 hours is a lot in a week but we will get there in five six years and that's what what anamik did more or less yeah she she, so she built very gradually uh, yeah. To that, I mean, she she's in her late thirties now, but still seems to be improving the last couple of years. Anyway, yeah, and and I mean, every at the end of the year, we always have a nice dinner and discuss what we did the year before and results and how what are we going to do next year? And like like three or four years ago, I, I every year I said, well, Anamik, let's be fair. You're not going to be better than this. It was a fantastic year. You had your first world title in. Uh, in, in uh, time trial, but yeah, this is this is the limit. I don't say that anymore. Yeah, we were every year we were uh, able to yeah to do something extra or to do something different, which probably gave her a new stimulus. The other women in in the peloton, they talk about you know how she's really raised the bar in terms of not just performance, but but how she lives, how she trains, how she. Yeah. You know, takes herself off to altitude and 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 lives in a way that um, is really has really taken women's cycling to to a new level. I mean, is that something that is just part of her makeup? Have you seen that that side of her develop over the years? Is she? Has oh yeah, she, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is, she does what she likes to do. She enjoys well almost every day. It is not like she is suffering a lot. Because yeah, she has to train 25 hours or 30 hours a week. She's not suffering a lot because she has to stay by herself on a mountain for altitude training. This is what she likes to do. She was in Colombia two times. She came back after the first time. She was one month 
there in uh, it was December, and she said, "Yeah, I had holiday. I come back. I did an awful lot of training, but I had the the, the idea. It feels like holiday. Okay, then it's not like somebody has to suffer a lot, huh?" Mm. So she likes cycling. She likes traveling. Uh, so she's doing what she what she likes, and I I, I try to find out on an individual basis what what every different rider likes. If you don't like to be on a mountain by yourself, then don't go in altitude because maybe it works physiologically, but for sure psychologically it's a big big mistake uh, to make because you come back, your body says yes, but your mind says no. In the end, no result. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I think we're discovering uh, in this lockdown period as well how different people yeah. uh, cope differently in you know, situations like this. And some people um, are maybe more comfortable with their own company, which is, sure. yeah, which, yeah. Which, which is fortunate in her case. I mean, another aspect of her training that we've seen is, is training she does with, with the, the male riders. Um, how did that Yeah, but come that's about? 10 days in a year. Mm, yeah, it's a short, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, that is very extreme. And I wouldn't recommend it to uh, everybody, but one of the things uh, Annemiek likes is to get, she is very comfortable with getting out of her comfort zone, let's put it like that. As she is looking for, hey, what can we do to get myself out of the comfort zone? Yes, yeah, the 10 days with the guys, that's out of her comfort zone. She's a little bit scared for that. No, I think that's why it brings something. But you And, you, and I yeah. know because of the last year what she did, that she can deal with it. I guess that it doesn't kill her. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I guess she, as a you as a coach, though those the, uh, you say it's just ten days, but those are days that you have, I guess, less control over in terms of the effort she's making. We can we can see that, you know, for her it's just about hanging on and really, as you say, taking herself outside her comfort zone. But how do you how do you manage that training when? I don't have control over her when she's in the Giro Italia. I mean, that's the same. Or I don't have control over a rider when he is in the Tour de France. It's three weeks. Other people have control. You don't even control it yourself. I mean, with with the, the training camp with the guys of Mitchelton, she has more or less control because after three days when she is really, really, really tired, she can say, okay, tomorrow I'm not going to ride. We always had that option, especially last year because she was coming back from her knee injury. And we said, okay, we're going to try two days, and maybe the third day you take rest. But in the end, she did everything. But we we, we looked at it at a daily basis. Hey, how do you feel? Think You, you think you can do tomorrow? Mm. And think towards the end of this camp. So, yeah, there is no control. But I think in in... in in this case, for these two ten days, it's it's okay to don't have control. I mean, she's maybe unusual, uh, Annemiek, in, in some respects. Um, I mentioned other riders looking at her and, and realizing that she is setting the the, the, the benchmark for women's cycling. Yeah. But I guess not every female rider could do what she's doing, and it would be a mistake for some of them to take on that. Oh that yeah, load. of course, yeah. of course, yeah. No, I, I mean. The, the fact that Anamig, what Anamig is doing now, and again, I say it, I, I coached a lot of guys who did a lot more than Anamig did in her, at her max. So it's not that exceptional, in my opinion. I mean, I work with triathletes in the moment, 
guys and girls do the same amount of volume of training and why not they race the same there they also race the same distance mm. uh, but so it's not 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 that exceptional but i think it, it depends a little bit on what type you are are you more the endurance type or more like mariana a little bit more explosive type i mean mariana can also win the bunch sprint uh, against good sprinters mm. that is a different type so they are normally not responding that well on super high volume but you, when you are more on the endurance side of the spectrum like Anamigas, you respond to better to a high volume and then again we started in 2014 it's now 2020 in 2014 she was not doing what she does now so i do not recommend it to everybody but if you're the endurance type i would as a coach, I would invest with my rider in raising the bar, also volume-wise, but step-by-step. Step, you're not going from 15 hours a week to 25 hours a week in one mm. year. Mm. And that's also what we didn't do. We yeah. also did it step-by-step, step, and that's for me, is the reason that she improved. Well, I thought it was just uh, so incredible hearing that interview. Obviously, that was a few years ago uh, now, and... Yet, Annemiek van Vluten has gone on to continue winning. Just as Louis de la Haye said, you know, he thought you know, every year the target, you couldn't, couldn't come up with more targets because, you know, it wouldn't be possible to sustain that kind of growth every single year. But then, you know, Annemiek van Vluten uh, did do that. And, uh, you know, how much that is kind of her mental ca capacity as a racer, which she's spoken so much about, or whether it is doing those hard yards in the training. Then it's uh, an important. It's a very careful balance, isn't it, Denny? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think, and that's where I guess the two, the two sides, the mental and the physical, kind of marry and married so beautifully for Annemiek van Vluten. She just seemed to be able to strike the right balance for her, didn't she? She just found a way of enjoying what she did, and and even as even if Louis Delhaye said she enjoyed. Um, uh, riding very long hours in the Colombian mountains, and um, that was her. That was fun for her. But she she found a way to do it. She you know she did mention in the interview she did with Orla. She you know she would sacrifice doing an altitude camp because she that she didn't enjoy it. She would find a way to enjoy the training that she did do. And you know she, she admitted, and, and Katrine Orla had admitted they they took longer coffee stops than they should sometimes just because they were they they took they were taking time out to 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 enjoy the, the moment. So I think. I think that's something I also I'll also take away about Anamik was just the, her ability to strike that balance and I think we, we were talking off air we shouldn't perhaps underplay her her brilliant physiological mm. uh, pioneering um path that she she took but she did it in a way and you know not, and not all riders not many riders we can think of I think have followed that path not to the extent that she she seemed to set out so she is remains pioneering in that sense but she did it in a way that which wasn't just about suffering she struck struck a balance and i think that's probably why she was able to keep riding for so long at the top of her game because she still enjoyed it she enjoyed the challenge yeah it's funny isn't it because obviously that was a few that interview with louis was from a few years ago and so you'd think that maybe at that point perhaps the tide is only just turning to think oh, maybe, you know, this approach to training might suit me or putting in, a, you know, be, being more of an endurance kind of athlete might work for me. But actually, even three years since that, 
there aren't like a huge amount of athletes that are changing the way they race. Although, you know, we did hear a bit more from Cashinivi Doma, but that was just this year, actually, at the Tour de France fam, didn't we? That she felt like she was had a, a really good chance uh, on the Tourmalade. And she, I mean, she did an astounding performance on the Tourmalet, actually, because she had been kind of changing the way she was training from being a punchy rider to getting the to becoming an endurance athlete. And so maybe maybe we are actually starting to see uh, the kind of effects of um, Annemiek van Vluten's influence in that way. But maybe that that maybe that's only just starting to happen now. Also, because the yeah, the racing is also changing, isn't it? There are more opportunities for in- endurance riders. Perhaps they don't feel like they have to give up their kind of classics ability, um, or you know, it's worth not doing so well in the classics if you can do well in the Tour de France fam. You know, perhaps people are kind of specialising slightly more. Not that Annemiek van Vluten ever kind of had to really, but um, maybe that's going to change how people approach their training and maybe there are going to be a a section of riders who do become endurance athletes it'll be interesting to see i mean as as you hinted there i think and i was about to say and and nearly interrupted you rose sorry but i think as the calendar evolves with more emphasis now on what people are calling grand tours whether they are or not i i don't know whether that's the correct label but certainly never with the welter and the giro and the tour de france fam now we may see riders kind of pivoting and targeting those longer stage races with high mountain stages and time trials and therefore feel they need to adapt their training in a, which, in a way in which they hadn't needed to previously. Um, the calendar, I guess, has, has partly suited an all-rounder and even Annemiek van Vluten admitted uh, in her interview with Orla back in 2020 that she felt she was still a one-day racer she just rode every stage of her, of her stage race as a, as a one-day race. Uh, but I think that, yeah, as you say, maybe that's going to start to change as the calendar evolves. And potentially, if we get a, a longer Tour de France fan one day and uh, races get a bit longer, I don't know what, what we have you know, in, in, around the corner, but it feels like that evolution may just uh, tip the balance. Well, you know, we're talking about putting in the hard yards and doing the training and obviously for us next on the cycling podcast is the Christmas quiz. So I hope <laughs> Denny that you have taken on board. You have been inspired by this Annemiek van Vluten uh, special, you know, put in a few extra hours in, I don't even know where you would find this, this women cycling trivia that will come up at the Christmas quiz, but I hope you've been putting in a few hours doing that. I am, I am terrified Rose of this <laughs> Christmas quiz. <laughs> Particularly because I'm terrible at cryptic crosswords, and I know you love your 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 cryptic questions. So I'm just waiting to be completely humiliated. Um, if I find that you, you're and, suddenly busy and, in December, the whole of December, then I'll know why now. Well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll have to take the Annemiek van Vluten route to this and just think of a, a way that I can win that plays to my strengths, and my strength oh. certainly isn't answering cryptic questions. So. Um, yeah, I'll have to think outside the box for this one. <laughs> I like it. Well, I'm glad that you're thinking about it uh, already. Uh, Denny, thank you so well, much. Oh. Think about it. I'm losing sleep over it. <laughs> God, I better make it a good one. I better make it a good one. But uh, Denny, thank you so much uh, for uh, joining me. And thank you for that great interview with uh, Katrine Allred. It really was kind of such a great insight um, from her, uh, wasn't it? So thank you, Denny. 
Thank you, Rose. And uh, until next time, everyone. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.